Welcome to Catch Outdoors, presented by the Waypoint Podcast Network at waypointtv.com. I'm your host, Captain Rob Modis, reporting to listeners each week from the fabulous Florida Keys. This podcast centered around great outdoors, includes topics on fishing, boating, beaching, bicycling, hiking, camping, and most anything else related to spending time outside the home or office. <laughs> so kick back for the next 40 minutes or so and get a taste of my Florida. Hey folks, it's March already. Oh my Lord. I can't believe it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we, <laughs> yeah, it's like January, February are gone. Um, uh, winter's gone for us. It's pretty obvious now. We still have nice mornings. The mornings down here in the Keys are in the 70s, uh, low 70, you know, like 70, 71, and the highs around 80, 485. No humidity yet, but uh, we know that will come. We got about one more month. March is usually quite pleasant. It's when the fishing really starts to pick up, but we also are um, overrun. Lots and lots of snowbirds and tourists down here for the next month. A lot of Europeans. I uh, spoke to a couple this past week. Uh, met a couple in uh, Publix down the street from me that were here for three days. They're doing a, a whirlwind uh, uh, Florida tour. They flew into Orlando, did the mouse, came south to Fort Lauderdale, came here, and then they're on their way over to the West Coast, although they've heard about Sanibel. They're talking about uh, changing plans and doing Naples. Uh, and then I think they head back. But anyway, that's what's going on, and it's it's pretty pretty wild. This week's episode is uh, number seventy six, combat fishing. I'll get to that in a minute um, for some announcements. You know the usual the usual stuff. Um, I mentioned in last week's podcast that I have uh, restarted my YouTube channel, so. Um, Get on there and watch. Uh, it's under Catch you Outdoors. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, if you can't find it that way, you can search on my name and find it that way. Um, I added three short videos just for something to do. It was fun, so I'm going to obviously do more. Uh, now that I've got the drone up and flying and stuff like that, I'm going to do... I think I just shot a whole bunch of drone shots over Florida Bay, and it's just so beautiful. And I want to share that with you all, so I'll get to that hopefully sometime this week. Um, I got three count them. <laughs> Three published books. Uh, what I Know About Fishing Southwest Florida, Bridge to Paradise, and Take a Kid Fishing, an Adult's Guide for Introducing Youngsters to the World of Angling, all three available here in the Keys at Sandbar Books on Tavernier. You can also pick up the books at 239 Flies in Bonita Beach. That's on the southwest coast of Florida. And at Lear's Economy Tackle in North Fort Myers. Uh, and yes, you can order from Amazon Kindle. Not a problem. I love you doing orders from Amazon Kindle. It's all good. I, I, it's book sales, especially on fishing Southwest Florida, have been very good. It's nice to, um, <clears throat> excuse me, get my voice together today. It's nice to collect what I call. Well, I don't think I didn't call it originally. I believe Jimmy Buffett and uh, I forget somebody else uh, coined it as mailbox money. You know, when you when you got a song out there that somebody plays over and over again, you get royalties. It works the same way with a book. So the royalty check comes and it's just, it's mailbox money. I kind of like that anyway. Um, so let's do a fishing report. We'll do that right off the bat. Um, uh, the new boat is kind of front and center right now. So I haven't given up on kayaking because um, I happen to love the access that it provides to the backwaters near my home in Key Largo. Um, actually, it's fabulous because this whole body of water behind my house is... Um, 
mostly paddle only, uh, no motor zone. So there's a, there's a channel through it for boats to get through, uh, but the rest of it is off limits. And, and I love that fact. I love being able to get in there with a kayak. So it's not going anywhere anytime soon. There will be a whole lot more boating than kayak, though. I can tell you that. Uh, two recent trips to the backcountry. Uh, via our new flats boat. I headed up to the very north end of Blackwater Sound and found a few fish up that way. Lost a big one. Suspect it was a cuda, but I'm not really sure because it didn't show itself, but it hit and ran. Could have been a big jack for all I know. It ran ran to the edge of the mangrove, so could have cut me off that way. Um, the cudas are crazy, though. Those, silver, they're, they're, those silvery dudes, the toothy, toothy creatures, I call them. Uh, they love that same bottom consistency that bonefish do. So I'm hunting for bonefish. It's really what I'm looking for, schooling bonefish, especially on the low to high tides. And that's what we've had here in the morning and um, really low tides. Um, and uh, all I found is kudas. <laughs> lots and lots of kudas. But I can't fault that. My friends dubbed me Kudaman a long, long time ago, 25, 27, 28 years ago. Uh, I love catching barracuda. I really do. I think they, they are like jacks in the we are very maligned category. Um, people don't like to catch jacks on the southwest coast of Florida. They, they feel like they're getting in the way of their redfish and their snook fishing that they're trying to do in the bushes. I personally really, really enjoy jacks, especially when they weigh over eight pounds. You get hooked into your very first one that's in double digits, you know, 11, 12, 13 pounds is a party. I'm sorry. It's, it's a game fish. And it got that, it got that, you know, slanty-eyed look because people don't eat them. Same for kudas. People do not eat barracuda in the United States. Um, it could be poisonous, <laughs> quite frankly. It can hurt you pretty badly, actually. It's uh, Saratigua. Is it Saratigua? I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, it's a thing that winds up getting into the meat and accumulates like mercury. doesn't go away. Um, and it can be very poisonous for people that are allergic to it. Um, so, and it's it's almost it's it's because of reef fish, but most mostly barracuda. Um, I I don't know the reason why. I guess I should really find that out since I'm called you know Captain Cuda and Kudaman and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, um, I find them to be a blast to catch. Uh, and I you don't really target a cuda. Sometimes you'll get lucky enough to actually see one, but they're they're so light in color. They're so silvery down here in the Keys, especially on a sand bottom. You have no idea it's there until you hook up with it most of the time. Every now and then you see a push or a wake from one of the three and a half to four footers. You'll say, oh, that's there's something there. But with the smaller guys, the 20 to 25 inch ones, you just, you know, you don't. But they're fun. They hit like a ton of bricks. They jump. They carry on. They flip. They spin. They gnash their teeth at you. You know, I don't know. I find them to be very, very entertaining. Second time around, I went westward into Florida Bay, and I fished uh, around Deer Key. That went well. There was a mix of fish there. That made it entertaining. That mix of fish is always good. (laughs) Um, Let's see. Sea trout. uh, Ladyfish. A jack, a lizard fish, ooh, a couple of kudas, and then after about 35, 40 minutes of steady activity on the flat, three dolphins show up. 
I'm not talking about dolphin fish. Either. I'm talking about mahi. I'm talking about flipper. And uh, they were adults, and they were on a mission. I don't know if you've ever seen dolphin work a flat, but there is a system to it. You have a leader, and you have a couple followers. It could be two to three to four followers, but there's always a leader. The leader goes in first, finds a school, breaks around them, either clockwise or counterclockwise, kind of like behind them, and then drives them toward the other uh, dolphin. When the school arrives, the dolphin blows up on him. I, I'm pretty sure there there were no mullet to be seen in this area, so I'm pretty sure he was driving uh, the ladyfish schools, and because I caught a lot of little ladyfish, so that I'm I'm guessing that's what it was. Anyway, drove it into him, and then the party begins. These dolphins go absolutely ballistic, throwing fish out of the water, jumping on fish, stuff like they muddy the place up so bad. There's no way you're going to see bottom for another hour. And then they move on to the next spot. And I moved on because <laughs> once they do that, quite honestly, it's pretty much over. There's nothing else but maybe a speeding boat or a jet ski that'll drive fish away faster. So let's see. Oh, then I, um, where did I go? I kept going west. That's right. I, I, there's some, there's so many keys I want to take a look at. Um, I headed over to uh, Eagle Key is the name of it. Uh, let me explain something. I mentioned this before briefly, but I'll, I'll get a little more detail here. When Janelle and I first started boating here in the Florida Keys and Florida Bay primarily, uh, we did mostly the western side of Florida Bay. So basically from um, Isla Mirada straight up and then over to Flamingo and then out you know, to the west. And we fished all those upper keys. And we did that for about five years, five and a half years. That was our GPS-less days. No GPS, just a chart and a lap. Which means you have to kind of find your way, come back, find your way further, come back. And many, many trips before you get confident enough to really run up into the keys. Because the water is real tricky, very tricky. Um, nobody wants to run aground. It's bad for the grass. Number one, it's also bad for uh, spending the night with uh, mosquitoes. So, um, so we got really, really good at fish spots. We knew where to go. Like if we wanted a dinner for snapper, we knew where to go. Wanted to catch reds, we knew. Snook, we knew. I mean, we really had a system for this. And um, Key Largo was just not touched. We went right through Key Largo on the way to Isla Mirada. To give you give you an idea, uh, Key Largo is uh, uh, mile markers are in the hundreds, low hundreds. So, like we live near 104, and then south, you know, it goes down to like 99 or so. Isla Mirada is uh, the very very top 70s, like 79, 78 mile marker. So we went right through here to get there because that that's where the boat was, and that's where we did most of our fishing. And so, uh, and we got good at it. No, no, no brag, just fact. We got, we got really good at it and, and had a lot of fun with it. So Key Largo for us, this is a whole nother game. Um, and honestly, it's why we got the boat. We, it, we finally came to the realization that the kayak is really fun. No doubt about it. We love the kayaks, but the boat just, we wanted to see what's up there that we have not seen before. And I can't tell you folks how much water there is up there. It is fantastic. And it goes up into really cool, like crocodile areas and all kinds of neat things up above us here. So, and I have just started, I've only done two trips up there, so <laughs> I can't wait to do more. <laughs> Weather's not going to cooperate until Saturday or Sunday. There's not the, uh, let's see, uh, I'm recording this on a Thursday, Friday supposed to be bleh. Uh, winds are supposed to start to settle on Saturday and be pretty good Saturday daytime and then all the way into Sunday. And then I think it goes, um, goes to pot again on Monday from what I understand. So anyway, I, I have been experimenting. I've been looking, I've been eyeballing, I've been looking and eyeballing and casting, but really I'm trying to get a feel for what this whole area looks like and where the fish might be. When I find fish, I typically mimic that, uh, which is a 
good thing to do. If you fish anywhere else, like if you know if you're fishing Southwest Florida, you're fishing ten thousand islands East Coast, and you're doing backcountry fishing, if you find a spot with fish, mimic it. You know, find another spot that kind of resembles what you were just doing based on tides and winds for that particular day. And that'll make you pretty successful if you kind of play the game that way. So anyway, I wound up by um, Eagle Key, which is beautiful. Um, You know, you look at it on a chart and you have no idea what you're getting into until you get over there. But that is a big, big area. Um, It has an enormous kind of almost like a lake in the middle of it, which is inaccessible. When I was there, the tide was low, but really looked... um, juicy. (laughs) There's a channel near there too, a cut through channel for the park service that goes through there to help find your way over to the next bay. Um, But anyway, I'm going to definitely spend more time there. I fished on the outside edges there and got, um, let me think, I I got, I know I got a couple more kudos. Oh, jacks. I got two jacks there, um, which kind of surprised me. Uh, And I saw a monster barracuda go by, one of those four and a half to five footers, just a, a stovepipe. And in a way, I'm glad I didn't hook it, but uh, but then I was kind of bummed too. So anyway, uh, no sign of snook and no sign of reds. That's really what I'm kind of keeping an eye out for. I think I'm on the wrong tides right now. The tides are very low. Uh, when you go up to a mangrove edge, the roots are pretty much almost not in water. So I'm waiting now. Uh, hopefully by this weekend, the tides will be up a little bit and I can go play around with a little bit more water around the mangrove. I think that'll make a difference. But uh, again, it's a learning curve, just like anybody else I'm learning. I used artificials the entire um, entire morning, uh, both days. Gulps, they worked great. Um, as did Z-Man soft plastics. I put on some pearl white Z-Mans on a, uh, a weighted um, offset hook, a worm hook basically, but it's weighted, um, and did pretty well with it. A, thing about Z-Mans is you got to weight them in some way. They do. They float. I mean, they are just full of air. It's, it's amazing. You throw one out, you're not going to get any activity out of it if you just throw it on a bare hook. It's got to have something to get it down into the water column. So um, I did that, and it worked out pretty good. It was okay. The jacks liked it. Not a lot of moving water in the morning. Like I said, it was low. Uh, it was just barely um, just barely turning when I, when I came home, actually. What I will say is um, we're getting closer to full moon now. That was that was a half moon day when I went up there on Monday. Yeah, on Monday it was a half moon day. So hopefully now, three or four days later, we're getting closer to full moon. That should make things a little easier, I hope. Now on to episode 76, combat fishing. This is one of my favorite subjects. It really is. This subject is near and dear to me. And the new boat will play a big part in my love of combat fishing. Um, I've tried it in a kayak. It's stupid. <laughs> Unless you like being drawn up into the bushes. <laughs> you might need to wear a helmet, you know, keep from banging your head on the mangroves. But we'll get to that in a second. Title comes from a style of fishing that I was introduced to years ago by a fellow fishing guy named Mike. And Mike... Mike, you know who you are. Uh, Mike liked to really just bang it up close. I mean, he That was a great style of fishing that he did on really, really big snook. This guy knew how to find the snook, knows how to find the snook. Um, and I met him, oh gosh, a long time ago, Panarasa, probably 2000, 2001. What was that, 23 years ago? you got to be kidding me. Anyway, um, so... 
it was, uh, we would split trips. That's what it was. He would wind up with these groups, you know, where he had four guys and all he wanted to do was take two on his boat. So he would call me and he'd get me to join to take two on my boat. And then we'd go to his spots while, so, and I kept my mouth shut. I didn't want to die. Mike would kill you. Just, you don't want to mess with Mike. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> we went back fishing in these areas and it was crazy. It was close, 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 like small creeks that you could barely turn a 17 foot boat around in. Um, there were old docks, there were pilings, there were trees in the water. It was just about the scariest looking thing you could possibly think to fish in, especially when you have the potential to hook snook between 30 and 40 inches in length living in this, this area. And I, uh, I went up with Mike, we went up by ourselves one time. That's how it started. And I threw a, um, uh, a shrimp in there, um, we, the bait, the bait was not healthy. It was dying. The white bait was dying. So I just put a shrimp on, threw it in there, and um, it got just absolutely smacked. I got taken around a dock pile. I got taken under the dock. Got taken over to the bushes. Got yanked through the bushes and broke me off. And and Mike from the other boat says to me, "There you go, man. It's combat fishing." That was the first time I'd heard that term, and I just thought, man, that was what a great term. I just love this, and. Um, Anyhow, I wound up putting a chapter in my book, the Bridge to Paradise book, which is uh, um, stories about fishing and travel and life is how I titled it. And that story's in there. It's called Combat Fishing. And it's about um, what it takes to combat fish. The, I don't know, nerves? <laughs> nerves of steel? <laughs> Not really. It's just, I just find it highly enjoyable. I think it's one of my favorite ways to fish. Um, and so that's where it came from. It's, it's uh, basically, I wrote it as a magazine story originally. Um, don't ask me what magazine. It was too long ago, 23, 24 years ago. Um, being careful not to give away too much and because that's how magazine articles are. And then um, eventually I, I was going through a bunch of old, old articles on my computer to make this book, the Bridge to Paradise book. And I found it. And I thought, God, this was what a great story and what a lot of fun that was. And so I rewrote it and put it in the book. So I was browsing the book the other day, and I saw that, and I was, oh, man, combat fish. And I haven't talked about that. We really ought to get this on the podcast. So um, it's um, I'm just going to embellish more here because it's easier on the podcast to kind of go over what it's all about. But fishing, for me, has almost always been pretty standard fare up to that point. Fishing beaches, bridges, open grass flats, mangrove shorelines, and of course, deep water out in the Gulf or the Atlantic Ocean, you know, reefs and wrecks, all very much fun. But what I was about to partake in, in my opinion, was the best years ago, and that was combat fishing. Um, this style of fishing is pretty much as close as you're going to get to reaching in and trying to grab a fish with your bare hands. Oh, wait, noodling. <laughs> That's a crazy sport. <laughs> I'm not reaching into mangroves with my hand. I can tell you that right now. No telling what might be living in there. Um, might lose a finger or two. Uh, but it's that kind of thing. You're, you're up close and tight. Um, there's, a, there's a smell. There's a, an atmosphere. There's bugs. Yeah, man, you got to spray down with bug spray. You're going to be right in there. You're going to be in there where the, uh, where the no-seams and the mosquitoes live. Uh, tons of fun. No, seriously, it's not bad. Most days it really isn't bad, but there are times you need to make sure you have the bug spray with you. But I won't ever noodle. I won't ever reach into a hole in the mangrove and grab anything. I can tell you that right now. The water, first of all, is dark in these places. Um, you can't see like you see in the Keys 
where you can look into mangrove and look around and go, oh, look, look at that cuda lion right there. Look at that shark coming down the shoreline. You don't see that in deep mangrove of 10,000 islands and along the west coast of Florida, um, the lower west coast of Florida. Most of the combat fishing I did was in the 10,000 islands um, down. That's pretty much it. Way, way back up in the 10,000 islands and, and a bit of it in the Clusatchee River. Uh, up north around Charlotte Harbor, up in the small bays. Up there's Turtle Bay and there's Bull Bay up there. Those are the places that I used to like to go to kind of do this kind of fishing. So so anyway, the mangrove, um, that's what I was going to talk about. The mangrove roots, the root system is um, red mangrove, uh, grows right on the edge of the water. And it's, it's very, very interesting. It survives in both salt and fresh water, either and or both. Um, it's, it sits right in the tidal edge. So in other words, it can be flooded and then it can be dry. It can be sitting on sand as the water goes out. Um, but it provides any, an amazing habitat for fish and other critters, um, shrimp and crabs and stuff like that. Imagine, if you will, uh, you take your hand and make like a claw shape with it, like, you know, and then set it down in the sand. That's what the root system looks like on a, on a red mangrove. And then the mangrove grows above that. And as it grows, its branches, as they lean out, drop a root down that goes down into the water, attaches and supports the branch, and another mangrove starts to grow, and it starts to spread, and it turns into a, an island, if you will. Um, because of its shape, it, it again, it, it adds a, a tremendous amount of habitat and security for small fish and small critters. And the big fish know that. So on certain tides, the big fish come in to feed. And I'm talking about redfish snook. Um, tarpon, the, the resident tarpon. I'm talk, not talking about the big boys here. I'm talking about the tarpon that can be anywhere from a foot long to maybe 25 inches or so in length, maybe 30 inches at the most. Um, and jacks and all other fish, uh, sheep's head, I mean, all kinds of trout, all kinds of stuff come and feed in these areas. Um, and they, they work that area, you know, as much as they can. It's kind of it's hard to explain. Like on a low tide, it's almost impossible. But on a high tide, they kind of blow in and out of there. They explode. You'll hear noises when you're back there. It'll make you turn your head. Like was that a fish or was that a gator? The mangroves also really important to our shorelines. And I always like to stress this whenever I mention mangrove. Uh, people had a really bad habit of ripping it up to build houses, and they soon discovered that was a really bad idea. Mangrove again is a, is is instrumental in habitat. It is the beginning of the habitat. You rip it up, the fish go away. Play because the bait goes away. Um, it also protects our shoreline from really bad storms, really bad storms. So if you have mangrove growing along a shoreline, you're going to take much less damage from surge and winds and things like that than you are if you just have a beach. Point, in, point right now in cases, Sanibel and, and Fort Myers Beach, unfortunately. Uh, the mangrove areas did a little better, but they still got flooded. So anyway, but the plants are still there. Um, so it's important that we that we keep it where it is, and and now it's protected. I mean, you cannot rip up mangrove anymore. People might try to cut it, they might try doing it, but if you get uh, get caught doing it, you are in serious trouble. But to our us fisher persons, it is the area that supplies food to the fish that we want to catch, and I think that's that's probably the most important thing to us. Well, not really. My to me, it's it's habitat and and protection. But at the same time, I love the fact that fish like it. <laughs> now, this is where the fun begins, in the mangroves, okay? Picture, if you will, a sort of hand-to-hand -hand combat with a big fish that's fully in their element. They have all the fish advantages, all of it. 
you are nothing more than a hapless uh, invader, <laughs> undergunned, and unprepared for what's about to happen. I think that's what's so cool about this. Um, the remarks and questions I used to get when I talked about this type of fishing in seminars was, why not use bigger rods and bigger tackle? Sounds logical, doesn't it? Well, I'll, I'll tell you. The main fish I'm trying to catch while combat fishing are snook and tarpon. Those, those are the two biggies. And both are fairly leader shy and very, very wary of their surroundings. Um, let's just say they have already are aware of your presence and would most likely shun heavy tackle. In other words, when you start to come into these areas, it is so quiet and so peaceful. And you come in there in a boat, a small boat. A very lightweight boat, a boat that, that, you know, we're talking a skiff here, 15, 16 footer. You come in there in a little bitty boat, they know you're there. You have created a push in the water that they feel. Guess what that push is like? You probably, some of you probably guessed, dolphin. Yeah, flipper. Yeah, dolphin come in there. That's where they feed. They'll come in there and raid those areas. And these fish are very, very, very wary and very, very good at detection. And so you coming in there in a boat, you're already, you're already at odds. You know, your odds are not good at this point. So the idea is to come in there with lighter weight tackle. Now, of course, that leads to, <laughs> well, I once factored it up after a couple of days of doing this, uh, and your catch ratio to boat is about 25%, one in four. Uh, three, of the, three of the fish you catch will get away. One, you'll get to the boat for your photograph. The good news is in combat fishing, there's typically a lot of fish. Rarely do you go in, a, in an area and not catch one, two, three, four, five in a row, six, seven in a row sometimes. It's really remarkable. Um I guess because they don't see anybody much, and I guess because you're throwing um, baits, artificials, typically, that are small, lightweight, that don't make huge splashes, uh, it immediately gets their attention. And a lot of times, if you're close enough to the face of the fish, you just get attacked, attacked immediately. So I think that all kind of plays into it. But anyway, long story short, the odds are against you because you've shown up. <laughs> <laughs> and they're in their element. So that leads to what we typically use when doing this craziness in tight quarters. Uh, it's really pretty simple. In spin fishing, it'd be a six-foot heavy rod. I'm not talking a massive, like, go fishing for um, a, a grouper or something. Not that, not that kind of heavy. Uh, you'll find that spinning rods are classified from um, light, light spins through medium, or, or rather, yeah, Light, medium, medium, light, stuff like that. And then heavy is one. The heavy is not as heavy as it sounds, but it's what you need. And six foot helps you get baits under the mangrove. So when you're casting, it helps you deliver a bait. You also want a tip that's a little more flexible than what most heavy uh, spin rods come with. So you want to test the tips and make sure the last foot or so is fairly flexible. That helps you uh, get control of that bait when you're casting and get it into the right area with a little skip underneath the mangroves. I use 20-pound braid. I don't care what color you use. I mean, I use yellow. I like high-vis yellow because I, I like knowing where the line is, quite frankly. And I'm going to tie a fluorocarbon leader on the end anyway that's about three to four feet long, and that's going to be 30-pound test. 
Um, and then to that, you're going to put your small little jig, your small hook, your weighted offset hook, uh, and something soft plasticky that represents little baits. And when I say little, I'm talking less than four inches. In a lot of cases, three inches is ideal. You really want something small. These waters are full of what, what I like to call glass minnows. These are just little bitty baits that flit all about and, and spit water and that's what you watch when you start seeing that when you pull into an area you know there's fish in the area they start there's noises that you hear you hear little pops from the snook and you see little bait jumping around and bouncing around and that's what you want so that's the you're, you're basically matching the hatch as they say in fly and we'll get to fly here in just a minute but in the spin in the spin world that's kind of your setup um and I like to take at least three rods when I do that. Three rigged exactly the same. I don't mess around with re-rigging or making them different. There's not much point in it. You know, once you figure it out, go with it. Don't be switching around and changing. The reason I do that is so that you can immediately pick up another rod when you get busted because there's a real good chance that if you had a fish hit and you lost the fish, he's got a buddy or two waiting nearby to devour whatever he lost. They don't realize it, you know. He still got it. <laughs> they aren't that smart, thank God. <laughs> but anyway, you really want to make sure you have something where you can just turn right around and pop something right where you lost the last fish. And guess what? It'll. I would say, oh, 65, 65% of the time it gets whacked again, and then you're on again. So, so that's it. Now, once you're hooked up, oh, baby, that's when the fun begins. And so here come the tips for what to do after the hookup. Because, man, it's going to be fast and furious, and you're going to have to react faster than you've ever reacted before to get a fish to the boat. Um, plain and simple. I, I can't tell you how many I lost the first few times, and then all of a sudden I got the hang of, hey, man, this is an instantaneous game here. This is not a delay game. So, biggest tip, be sure to close the real bail just as quickly as possible after the offering hits the water. So when you're making the cast, you want to immediately, I'm not talking about using the handle to slam it shut. Don't do that. You're tossing, you're tossing your bait up under the bushes. And when I say bait, I'm talking about artificial. Okay. I'm not talking about bait. Um, tossing your bait up under the bushes. The moment it hits the water, your other hand, in my case, that would be my left hand, not holding the rod, shut that bail right then. Because when the hit comes, it's pretty dramatic and pretty fast. If you don't get whacked right away, um, there's a chance that the fish isn't there. Now, I like to wait a second and give it a couple little bang bangs with the tip of the rod just to see if maybe he's actually just looking at it and didn't do anything. But most of the time, the hit is going to come almost like, well, instantaneously, pretty much. If there's a fish in hiding under those mangroves, um, it's not going to hesitate to take it. And then he's not going to hesitate to turn and run right back in the mangroves. And you are not going to stand a chance if you don't have that bail closed right away to be able to stop him. So that's tip number one. Here comes tips for the fight itself. Okay, so you get hooked up. <laughs> Hair stands up on your arms. You know, that, that holy cow, this is a really big fish. Um couple things that, that can be done. If you're standing on the bow of the boat, you want to head to the stern. So hopefully you've got the boat anchored down like with a power pole or something like that so it's in position for your casting. You start walking to the back of the boat. or I, Some people say run. I don't know if I want to run on a boat. But anyway, you want to head to the back of the boat as quickly as possible. Even a small boat, 16, 17, 18 foot boat, that's 18 feet that you've pulled the fish in the right direction away from the mangroves. Um, drag should be fairly tight. 
Tips should be in the water. Do not, do not raise the tip up in the air and try to fight the fish like you've seen on television. That will not work. Um, why? Ah, I'll tell you. The line coming off the tip of the rod will be going into the water at an angle. That angle means it's going to be angled under mangrove roots. Mangrove roots are full of barnacles. If you have a line coming up from a fish's mouth coming up at, say, a 40, 35 to 45 degree angle, you're going to hit the roots. And if you hit the roots, you get cut off by the roots. Plain and simple. By the way, the fish knows that. He's played this game before. So, and then crank like your life depends on it. Turn the handle of that reel as fast as you can. Plain and simple. Putting that tip in the water and grunting and and just reeling. And if you can, and your fish is staying in position, move forward if you can while you're doing this. This is the tricky part. You go forward too fast, he's going to get advantage of you. So you start going forward toward the bow again, and you start cranking really, really hard, and you walk to the back again. And if you, everything goes according to plan, which it won't, it just won't. But if it does, you're going to have a fish beside the boat. And then he's going to get really ticked because he's like, boat? Oh, no. He sees the boat. He goes crazy. And then he tries to wrap himself around everything that's under the boat. So if you came in there with a trolling motor, you better get it out of the water. <laughs> if you came in there and you got the power pole down and he hits for the back, get that out of the water. If the motor's down, get the motor up. He's going to try to go around everything because guess what? You look just like protection. You look just like big mangrove roots. <laughs> and that's what he's going to go for. So, you know, it's good to have a friend on board, the two of you fish and maybe three of you, so people can grab buttons and, and switches and things like that and try to get stuff out of the water. But it is really, really pretty crazy. Crazy. And then if you finally get it beside the boat and you manage to lift that tarpon or you lift that snook, man, the high fives go around. It's, it's, it's really great. It's probably one of the most fun fishing experiences I have ever had. And I've had, well, I started fishing. I'm 69 now and I started fishing when I was five. And I can't think of anything that I like better than combat fishing. You want to know something really fun? Is that the fish's friends are still there. Here's the weird part about combat fishing that I found is that those fish don't run away. Once you've caught one, it's not like he goes back and tells the rest, oh, Lord, you don't want to do that. That's not what happens. And I don't know why, because it sure seems to happen like that when you're fishing under a bridge or under your dock at home. One snook bites and then the other ones, you can even see them in the light at night. And they're like, no, buddy, uh -uh, no, no, we're on to you. It doesn't happen in the backcountry. I'm not sure why, but it just doesn't. So... You get your fish, you fought, landed, get a quick photo, release the fish, and there will be another biting in the same area, plain and simple. I, honestly, I have no idea why, but that's how it works. Okay, so you want to make it tougher on yourself? Let's talk fly fishing. <laughs> I'm sorry, it just makes me laugh. <laughs> uh, the rod will be nine foot. That's what I use, an eight weight. For those of you that are into fly fishing, you'll know what that means. right? If not, you can look it up. Nine weights are... Pretty sturdy rod, you know. A lot of people in these areas use seven and eight, but a nine will take you one bump up, and you don't want a big rod. You don't need an eleven or a twelve doing this. Um, it's not going to really help that much. Let's just put it that way. Uh, same tippet as before, same fluorocarbon leader, but a tippet is what we call it in uh, in fly fishing. A thirty pound fluorocarbon uh, would work just fine. And a very, very simple fly. I want to really reiterate this and talk about this. Uh, 
You do not need the fancy, fancy, multiple stacked hair flies with all the fuzzy things hanging off of it and antennas and eyeballs and all that stuff. These fish are primarily eating little bitty stuff that swims by and they hit it at a moment's notice. They they don't mess around, okay? They... It's gone, <laughs> plain and simple. The most of the flies that I use are either black or dark brown. They're no more than two inches long, and most of them are nothing but a little bit of fur and a little bit of feathers, and mostly just feathers. Um, simple, simple flies. You want something that's easy, easy to place in position, uh, and you don't want the fish to have to think about it. And this is true for a lot of fishing that we do in the Keys. Just so you know, a lot of tarpon fishing in the Keys for larger tarpon, uh, when they are migrating, uh, is for little bitty they just, they'll eat anything that gets placed in front of their nose because they're moving from spot to spot. They are hungry, but they're not going to stop and feed in an area for any length of time. So when you deliver something small, they eat it. It's the same principle when you get back in these creeks. It's really, you really want to keep it small and think small when it comes to the fly. Um, again, I've had my best luck with dark, small, virtually weightless flies. Don't, don't want to put anything in it. And again, like I said, the, the black or brown, uh, is, is those are my favorite colors. The thing about that mangrove water is reddish in color. It's dark. And even on a sunny day, not much light's going to get back there. So you are actually fishing in a dark water on almost what would be like a cloudy day. And so you, you definitely want the darker colors. You do not need bright white. You don't need bright chartreuse, blues. Things. You just go with dark, and it'll, it'll work out for you much better. Now, what makes fly fishing, to me, easier than the spin is the delivery of the lure, the delivery of the fly. Um, when you're messing around with spin, first of all, you have to add weight, first of all, so you get a little extra splash that could be bad, but I'm not going to say so. Not not in this type of fishing. They, they're kind of attracted to weird little noises, so they don't run away. But a fly is delivered just as soft as you can imagine. It just, it just lights upon the water, especially if it's unweighted. It slowly sinks. They see it. Bang, they hit it. Um, the delivery is the big deal with the fly that you can do that's much harder to do with the spin in close quarters. Now, there's pros out there. You watch these bass guys that do bass tournaments throwing baits up under docks. They're really good at this. The average Joe is not. Heck, I fish a lot, and I'm not. <laughs> not that great at this. But with a fly, you can put a fly exactly where you want it within, oh, I'd say probably a six-inch dinner plate pretty easily, consistently. The reason is um, when you fly fish, the line length is adjusted by you. So as you let line out, you can drop the fly in, see where it lands, and let a little more line out, make another back cast, throw the fly out there again, watch it land and go, okay, I'm within about seven or eight inches of where I want to be. So you let out about six inches of line on, in my case, it's my left hand, let a little bit of line out, do the back cast again and drop it. And it drops right exactly where I want it. From that point on, that's my spot. That's where I want to be every single time I drop the fly. And if you're working a mangrove edge, it just makes it so much, so much simpler. Now, the hookup part. This is where it's really, really wicked. You don't have a reel. <laughs> you have your hand. <laughs> you have a reel, but getting the line on the reel is the real trick. Um, for those that don't understand fly fishing, you peel off a bunch of line off that reel, and then you back cast, forward cast, back cast, forward cast to drop the fly in position. Um, if the fish 
eights, you set the hook by pulling back on the line with your left hand. It's called a strip strike. Instead of stripping line towards you, you're going to pull back with your, with your you know, tight on the line, your fingers tight on the line, and you're going to set the hook on the fish. And then you're going to gently start raising that rod, but not very much, just to make sure he's hooked. And then you're going to drop it in the water. You're going to do exactly like you did in spin. You want to get that tip down. Uh, off to the side is best and down in the water. In the meantime, you're not on the reel yet. You are still holding on to that line. And let me tell you what, you hold on too tight, your fingers are going to get burned. Um, fly line is not fun when it goes zip through your fingers. It really hurts. Um, so the trick is to know just how much to let go and just how much to hang on. And to also keep the amount of line that's not on the reel off of the deck. You want it on the reel. So in other words, after you've adjusted your distance, it's a good idea to not have too much sagging line hanging down or on the deck around your feet like you would when you're fishing offshore or in an open bay area. So try to remember to keep things close and keep things um, you know, down to size when it comes to the extra line. Finding the fish is different. Uh, fly rods are longer. You can put a whole lot more pressure on them than you think you can. I mean, you can really bow them. Um, I, I love the feeling of the fly rod. Um, if you're not experienced, you're going to lose fish. I mean, it's okay. It's To me, it's still the fun of the hookup anyway. Um, but you do, I mean, everybody wants that one for a photograph, so I'm not going to say you don't want to get that done. But it's hard. It's, it's hard. But it has its advantages in delivery and delivery of something that's really small and looks just like it belongs there. And so you do wind up with a lot of hookups. Last time I went out with the boys from 239 Flies, we did this about three years ago when I did this in the 10,000 Islands. I'm going to guesstimate that we had, well, you can ask them, it was probably 10 to 12 hookups easily in this one little bay of which I got one almost to the boat, one to the boat for photographs, and a couple of the other guys got them to the boat as well. So, you know, we had a really, really good morning. I lost a huge snook that morning, I will say this. It it just, <laughs> it took me to the cleaners, man. It was, one nice thing was, it came up and shook its head, so we all got to see how big it was, and then it was over, so at least we know what it was and we know its size. Oh, it was, it was just a monster, but anyway... Uh, I did get a tarpon out of there, and I did get a tarpon to the boat, and so I'm, I was excited about that. Um, lose a snook, get a tarpon. That's that's a pretty good day. Um, but anyway, you know, you you really you the fly fishing is is fun because of placement, fun because it delivers a a, a bait that looks exactly like what's swimming around in there. Difficult because it becomes a whole different battle unless you're a very experienced fly angler. If you're experienced, you shouldn't have too much trouble doing it. So if you're looking for something really radical to do and you've been fishing a long time, and you've done spin, and you've done offshore, and you've done reefs, and you've done all this stuff, and you say, man, oh man, I, I don't know, I just it's getting old. You, don't, you never want fishing to get old. Um, go to fly fishing if you haven't done that yet. That'll give you a whole new experience, something to deal with. And if all that's done, go combat fishing. Combat fishing is really a lot of fun. Before I sign off, thanks so much for the notes and some really good questions via email and text I've been getting. Keep them coming, and I'll do my best to answer uh, either via the email or I'll answer right here on the show, if, it, if it's part of the subject, of course. <laughs> uh, but anyway, thanks a bunch for listening. 
My podcasts are scheduled for each and every Tuesday. If you enjoyed listening, please tell a friend, leave a review, and don't forget to subscribe to the channel. Catch Outdoors is presented by the Waypoint Podcast Network and is available on Waypoint and many of your favorite podcast providers. Facebook pages, Catch Outdoors, websites, waypointtv.com, and catchoutdoors.com. Until next time, get outdoors and enjoy.